Hey, look at that. All right. Well, like Pastor said, uh, we still, you can still jump in. We had a great time. I visited the Hitchcocks this week, and uh, we had a great time. So I hope you guys uh, uh, enjoyed it, those of you who went. And we're going to go uh, further into the story uh, of Jesus this morning. And I, I, um, I'm a little bit disappointed that Pastor Joshua isn't speaking today because I really don't know how to follow what Wick did last week. <laughs> those of you who are here, how many of you guys were able to keep it together without your, your eyes even getting moist? Anybody? Anybody? How many wept like a baby? Yeah, okay, a lot of people. Powerful stuff. Um, he he uh, led in with the... Uh, with a, a sort of an intro of what happened during the silent period and understanding uh, part of the reason that Jesus came. And then he talked about orphans. And I think we were all just moved. It was a, a beautiful time. So uh, today we're going to pick it up uh, now and talk about the baptism of Jesus and about a fellow named John the Baptist. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for what you already accomplished this morning. We thank you for the victories that are happening in our lives. We thank you for the victories that are happening in our community. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and uh, speak through me this morning. We invite you to open up the ears and the hearts of, uh, of everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to give you a, a, a quick story of, of one event that happened about 200 years before Jesus came that dramatically influenced the culture that Jesus faced. Um, and uh, it was the, uh, uh, the Maccabean Revolt. Now, this is something, this is a story that's not told in your Old Testament because it happened during that 400 years uh, uh, that Wick talked about last week, the silent years. But I want to give you a very brief summation of what happened here. Um, so we had... Wick talked about how there was one nation after another that was conquering Israel. Remember that? It's like, whoever basically wants to come in and conquer us again, go ahead. <laughs> the doors were open. Well, they were, uh, the, the Jews here were under Greek rule, and there was a man that came uh, into power named Antiochus IV. And Antiochus is sometimes called the Antichrist of the Old Testament. He was a real sweetheart. He, uh, at first... He just said, you know, I don't want to abolish Judaism, but what we want to do is mix it, essentially, with Greek religion. So his goal was to get people thinking that Yahweh and Zeus were the same. Okay? That kind of was his goal. It was this really weird kind of syncretism, you know, idolatrous stuff. So he really tried to push that. Well, eventually his reign got violent, and he just went full throttle to try to totally squash the religious heritage of God's chosen people. So what he did was he made it a, uh, a capital offense to be walking around and have a copy of the Torah on your person. A capital offense. He, he, he uh, built uh, a gymnasium that was right next to the temple. It was actually taller and bigger because they were going Greek and they're going trying to say everything Greek is better than everything Jewish. And uh, eventually it just became an all-out attempt to destroy the knowledge of the one true God. He finally went too far when he erected an altar to Zeus inside of the temple, and he brought in a pig, which if you've ever read the Old Testament, the Levitical law, this is the most unclean thing 
out there, and he comes in and he sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple. And that was too much at that point. That was too much. So a man named Judas Maccabeus led a revolt, essentially a guerrilla war, uh, for, for a long time to overthrow this man and to overthrow the Greek rulers. And eventually he was able to do it. And they came back, or not him, but his sons. So they came back and, and, and finally cleansed the temple. This is about 20 years later. But came back and cleansed the temple. And uh, this is uh, actually the, the origin of Hanukkah right here. Okay? You with me? Can I throw out one are you with me this morning? That's all you're going to get, just one. <laughs> so out of this, here's something that happened, okay? In the meantime, before Jesus, the Romans came in and conquered everything. But there's something I think that happened here where uh, some groups popped out. One of these groups was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, just like these other groups came out, they, they, they were very much responding to what had happened. So some groups came out and said, we're never going to lose our heritage. We will not. We will put safeguards around the Torah. We will, we will make sure that, you know, we're not going to be eradicated by the sword, but we're also not going to be eradicated by culture. We're not going to be eliminated. Uh, others uh, said almost the opposite of, we're tired of fighting the cultural fight. Let's just blend in and live. So you had all kinds of, of different things that happened. So the Jews had a brief period of independence and were conquered again by the Romans. But in the meantime, these groups popped out. So here we go, Pharisees. Here's the one we're most familiar with because these are the ones that Jesus is going to encounter all through uh, his ministry. Here are the most common. But they're not maybe quite what you thought. The Pharisees, first, they wanted to preserve the Jewish uh, religious heritage. They didn't want to forget the Torah. They didn't want to forget the things that God had given. Now, lest we go too far in our uh, uh, critiques of the Pharisees and think that everything they believed was wrong, that's really not true. And many of them, they, they had wonderful motives because they said, we're not going to lose it. We're not going to lose what God told us. We're going to remember it. We're going to hold on to it. We're going to hold tight to it. And we're going to be so careful that instead of just having the Jewish law, we're going to add to it so that people don't come anywhere near to violating it. So they started padding it. Okay? So they, they uh, uh, were preachers to the layman. These were not the high and mighty ones. Sometimes we have that impression. These are the guys that are high and mighty that, aren't, that never reach down to the little guy. This is actually not true. They were considered the men of the people. They lived amongst the people. Uh, they uh, worked in the synagogues. The synagogues were just like, uh, really, they're really the forerunners to, to what we do here in, in church, although obviously they're still Jewish synagogues. But they, they're among communities. People come in, they worship, they sing, and the Pharisee uh, might open up uh, a passage of the Torah and read it and expound on it. Sound familiar? Okay? These were uh, uh, men of the people. They believed in scriptures and they believed, they also obviously added to, the, uh, to uh, the scriptures with the oral tradition. They added all kinds of things. And they rejected Greek culture. That's the Pharisees. Maybe not quite what you thought. Now, I want to, uh, uh, before we go any further, I want to say, uh, you know what, actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to come back to it. 
All right. Here's the, uh, some guys, I think that sometimes we bring a picture of the Sadducees into the Pharisees. They're very different groups. The Sadducees were mostly the wealthy aristocrats. They worked in the temple itself in Jerusalem. They focused on the priestly class. They believed in the Torah, and they rejected any, any of the added stuff. They just wanted to stick to the Torah. They didn't believe, however, in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. And uh, they believed that ultimately you might as well compromise with the culture. Now, that was mostly so that they could be benefited in the process. They wouldn't come out and say that necessarily, but that was, that was the, the gist of it. So those are the Sadducees. So th- let me tell you, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other at all. You had the Pharisees that were scattered amongst the people all throughout Judea, all th- really all throughout the Roman Empire there were synagogues. Remember, when Paul the Apostle is on his missionary journey, he could be somewhere that's way out off the beaten path, and where would he go? He would go to a synagogue, okay? So they were all over the place. The Sadducees were pretty much in Jerusalem. They, had the, they liked the center of power there in the temple. Very different. These are the wealthy guys. These are the guys that look down your nose and say, how could you possibly even understand what we're doing? These guys didn't like each other, but they did unite forces, as we see. Here's uh, another group. Here we go, the Essenes. The Essenes, they lived in the wilderness. Now, they sort of, uh, they believed in the scriptures. They waited for the day of the Lord. These are the guys that ran for the hills, okay? They didn't like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And they basically said, uh, uh, they they committed themselves to uh, uh, preserving scripture and to prayer. And they basically said this, we're tired of all the violence. We're tired of all this other stuff that's going on that's happened over the last 600 years. And what we, the, the only hope for us is that the Messiah comes and restores us somehow to power. So what we're gonna do is completely withdraw from society and wait for that day. And so they copied scriptures, and uh, they did all this. You've, of course, heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, these were one of these kinds of communities that were out in the wilderness very much detached. You with me still? Here's another group called the Herodians. Now, the Herodians, uh, they were supporters of Rome and Rome's puppet rulers. They embraced everything about Greek culture, and they uh, included all kinds of people, soldiers, tax collectors, uh, many others. So these are the guys that, that are saying, let's not fight, man. Let's not push. You know what? Okay, the, the thing that God gave our people back in the day was cool, but that was for then. And for now, let's just go with it, okay? I, I imagine them maybe quoting uh, people like Jeremiah and Ezekiel saying, for now, we're just going to live in the city. We're just going to have peace, and we're just going to embrace where we are, embrace the moment, embrace the culture, um, and that's what they did. Now, on the other side, here's the last group here, the zealots. Did you see that animation? This is called high tech. I'm going to do it again. Oh, my goodness. One more? One more time? Ready? Ready? Okay, ready? Whoa! Don't call me Mr. Pixar for nothing. The zealots were on the other side there. These are men who are ultra-patriotic. They, were, they hated Rome, they hated Greek culture, and they despised anyone who compromised with it. Can you see how the Herodians and the Zealots might not get along too well? Yeah. These, all, all of these groups essentially formed out of what took place in the silent period, and especially what happened with the Maccabean Revolt, because they all rose up, and they all had a really good point. 
Some of them saying, I don't want that kind of violence anymore, so let's just compromise. Others saying, I don't want to risk losing who we are, so let's band together and make sure that never goes away. Or, I don't want either of what you guys got because there's so much filth between all of you guys, so what we need to do is run for the hills and set up our own communities. Now, check this out. We're not going to we're going to sort of skip over the birth of Jesus here because we talk about that so much and we're all familiar with that because we talk about that every, every Christmas and obviously we will again. So we know what happened there. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he had to flee with his family to Egypt when he was young because of King Herod trying to exterminate all, all the baby boys. So finally, when Herod died, his family returned back in a really weird zigzaggy path um, <laughs> to Nazareth. That's a joke. Um, and they, they, notice they're far away from Jerusalem here. Jerusalem is down near the bottom. And uh, they're up in Nazareth, uh, uh, in the Galilean region. All right? So that's where Jesus grows up. And finally, Jesus emerges on the scene as an adult. Down here, the Jordan River, just north of, uh, um, of the, dead, uh, the Dead Sea, and there's already a lot of hubbub going on here in the middle of nowhere. Here we are. Here's a picture of the Jordan River. This is today. Back then, it would have been higher up and probably a, a little wider and busier. Um, from what I understand, they've sort of dammed up the river um, or darned up the river, for those of you who are a little more sensitive. Um, and they've... But this is... This is now, it's, it still isn't a mighty rushing river like the Mississippi down in New Orleans or anything like that. It's pretty, pretty small. And uh, here out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> uh, here is a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, was the son of a priest, yet he didn't live the life of a priest. In fact, it appears that he was an Essene. He was one of these guys who moved out, way out in the middle of nowhere, okay? So here he is. He's grown up out there. And there's people all around him. He's got all kinds of buzz. Now, it's not just because he's a freak show. Now, he's, he's wearing all kinds of rags, right? He's eating grasshoppers. And, and, and let me tell you, I envy him a little bit because nobody ever criticized the way John the Baptist dressed. They just accepted him for who he was. <laughs> That's right. Apparently, there was a little bit of consternation. What's that? I look good today? Thank you. Yeah? I work today? I have way too many fashion police in my life, friends. Way too many. He would probably say not enough, but regardless, I digress. John the Baptist is out in the middle of nowhere. Welcome, those of you who are first-time visitors. This does happen pretty much every... You know. He's got a crowd around him, and um, he is, he, he's, he's got this draw and this appeal, even though he's kind of crazy. Um, I want to show you here, this just uh, really sort of surprised me as I was reading this, and I, it just sort of came together of all these different groups. Check this out. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So first he's going all around the region, and then he's going and baptizing people in the wilderness, okay? 
As it is written uh, in the book uh, of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to uh, be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, how many have noticed in your reading that there's all kinds of great, I'm going to actually switch back so you don't try to read ahead. Ah, I know who you are. So, <laughs> so Matthew 3, in a parallel passage here, he says, he was at, John was actually specifically talking to two groups here, Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? He gets a little bit more specific. Isn't that interesting that both Pharisees and Sadducees, people who hated one another and certainly didn't like Essenes, are nevertheless out listening to an Essene? To me, that's a little bit fascinating. So he says to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say yourself, we have Abraham as our father. <laughs> for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now what's he saying? He's pointing directly to the people who say, or who are there, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So I imagine these, some of these guys actually went forth to be baptized. But he says to them, don't you dare do this in vain. And don't think that you can just come down, dip yourself in the water, and then live as you please because you're Abraham's son. Because that's exactly what they would fall back on. Hey, we're God's chosen people. I mean, we're the religious leaders of God's chosen people. I'm pretty sure we got this. And he's saying, no, you don't. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's what is very interesting to me. When we talk about the Pharisees, the first thing that usually comes to mind is the fact that they had oral traditions that they added on to the law and they were really legalistic. That's very true. But you know what? Jesus, his, his biggest critique for them had nothing to do with that. His most consistent critique was this. They didn't live it. His most consistent critique had nothing to do with their legalism. It had to do with the fact that inside, they were still really rotten sinners. And they just polished up on the outside to walk around and look awesome. Well, John knew it too. He says, uh, <laughs> not going to happen, guys. I don't care that your hairs are in place and that your robes look nice. It doesn't really mean anything because your hearts are wretched and they're far from him. So as we continue looking at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, watch this. To me, it's fascinating. So he tells them that, bear fruit, keeping with repentance. He goes on. And the crowds asked him, well, what should we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came to him also to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall he do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Stop stealing from the people. <laughs> oh, Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from people by threats or by false accusations. Be content with your wages. Do you see who these people are? Do you see? Who are they? They're, they're Herodians. 
He's got Sadducees. He's got Pharisees. He's got tax collectors who compromise with Rome. He's got soldiers, many of them uh, very likely Jewish people who had become soldiers for Rome. Do you think there was some tension in these crowds? And they're all coming. They're all right there. The people were in expectation. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, the Messiah, the one that's been promised. Again, we have to take ourselves out of the 21st century Western understanding, the things that, we, that we've heard since then. They're not thinking about Jesus as a person. They're thinking about the Messiah, the one who's going to come in and make everything okay. And they wonder, is this the guy? Their hearts are full of expectation, and they don't even care who's next to him. They just want to come because deep down they're really wondering, could this be him? Could this be the one who's going to make everything better? Well, of course, he wasn't the one, and he told him that. He said, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm the one who's going to bring low the mountains and raise up the valleys and straighten up the crooked paths. That, I've heard that passage, you know, at least 100 million times in my life. And for some reason, it really struck me this week of like, what does that mean? And I started thinking about life in Mendocino, California, where I used to live right before I came here. Mendocino, let me tell you how to get to Mendocino. You drive, until, you drive south until you get to the end of the world and you drive uh, west about six miles. And you get there. And it's so difficult to get to Mendocino. It's uh, on the coast. It's about three hours northwest of San Francisco. And in order to get there, there is no easy way. The easiest way is probably helicopter. You have to drive like this. And eventually, after you throw up three or four times, you'll make it. <laughs> I just had the youth group come down there. <laughs> like in 09, and they experienced that firsthand. Uh, it was, it, it's incredibly difficult. And so if you ever wanted to go like to town, because there's not really town in that area. There's all a bunch of little towns. If you ever wanted to like go somewhere where there's like civilization, you're going to have to drive through these mountain passes. And it's so much harder. It requires so much more attention to do this than it is for us when we go, I'm going to head to Eugene. And you go. <laughs> and I still go, I love Oregon. <sighs> See, I come from Texas, and we didn't have these kinds of mountains or even foothills there. And it's pretty easy to get, pretty easy to get anywhere. But what if you live in a mountainous place that's, that's windy and that's rough terrain? That's what we're talking about. That's what John's talking about. All those places are going to be made straight and level, and everyone will be able to see the salvation of the Lord. Everyone will have access to the salvation of the Lord. You won't have to jump through all these hoops. You won't have to change your cultural identity to see him or to have access to him. And John's saying, I'm the one who's preparing the way, and I'm going to show him to you. What an honor. What an amazing honor. Well, he does see him as he's out there, and as the crowds are there, he sees him, and he recognizes him. This moment, this moment, put yourself in the shoes of John the Baptist in this moment. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one who's been hoped about and talked about 
for centuries upon centuries is here in front of you, and he says to you, would you baptize me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he rightly says this. I like John. I like John. He rightly says, uh, Jesus said, I need to be baptized by you. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me. He said, I'm sorry. John says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Basically, he's saying, this is all backwards. This is messed up. This is not right. <laughs> and Jesus, he says, let it be so for now. Uh, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, as one of my old YWAM teachers, Kip Gaines, said, in other words, Jesus did this. I know. It's okay. Just roll with it, okay? Just, just go with it. This is what we need to do for now. You're right, points to you, sir, but uh, it's not quite. <laughs> just, just, just do it. Right, anyway. So he baptizes Jesus right there in front of all these people. He consented. When Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You are a Sadducee or a Pharisee. You're watching this take place. Suddenly you hear thunder. Suddenly you hear a voice proclaim that. Suddenly this bird comes out of nowhere and like lands on him. The sun opens and you hear this voice. This is my Son and I love him. You going to tell that story when you leave the Jordan? They did. This was the beginning right here of Jesus' ministry. He had the blessing of John the Baptist and the blessing of the Father himself. He begins his ministry. Of course, he goes in the desert for a time. But then he goes out and begins his ministry. And everywhere he goes, people follow him. He's healing people. He's He's giving them incredible news. He's hanging out with Herodians, tax collectors, and Pharisees. In fact, he, he goes and he takes one of them as his disciple, Matthew. He took a tax collector, a Herodian. And you know who else he takes? A zealot named Simon. He takes a zealot. The zealots were like terrorists, oftentimes. They would run up and slit throats of Roman soldiers. Do you see what I'm saying? These are groups that did not mix. And here he has two of them in his midst, his disciples. And you know what? They all followed him. And everywhere Jesus went, all of these groups, no matter what kind of cultural baggage they had, still followed him. One of them comes to him at night. Everybody remember this? Lest we think all Pharisees were hard-hearted, there was a man named Nicodemus who actually was a Pharisee. And he's been with his people. And they've been looking at him and they've been scratching their heads going, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Some of them are already whispering, thinking we've just got to get rid of him. But Nicodemus isn't so sure. I'm sure a lot of them weren't so sure because they're still following and they're still listening and they're still going, eh. Nicodemus says to him, well, before then, 
there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Why does he come by night? He doesn't want to be seen. He's scared. But he's willing to brave it. It doesn't even say in the evening. I picture him like knocking on the door at like two in the morning. Rabbi. Psst. Rabbi. Oh, sorry, did I wake you up, Rabbi? And he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know, we know that you're a great teacher. You're a teacher comes, who comes from God. For no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Teacher, we know. We know. I picture him, him stuttering and stumbling, not quite knowing what he's saying. He's not even asking a question here. He just says, look, we, we know there's something about you. And check out what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, let me answer your question, Nicodemus, the one that's really on your heart. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I don't think even knew why he was there. I don't think many of these people knew why they were following Jesus. What was it in their heart, this bit of expectation? Some of them, they had all kinds of different things that were on their hearts, all kinds of desires. Well, with the zealots wanted revenge and liberty. They were finally wanted to have their brave heart moment. The Herodians just said, enough of this. Can we just live comfortable lives? The Pharisee says, can we please have these promises that we were given way back when Moses stood on Sinai? All of them had something, and yet there, there they were in front of Jesus. Why are you here? Why are you here? What is it that attracts you to being near Jesus? I started thinking about this and asking myself this question this morning, and I was kind of afraid of what the answer might be as I started looking into my own heart. Because I've come with many different attitudes. I've come saying, God, I'm here. Can you lift me up and make me look awesome? That was me in high school. That really was. It was me in high school because I had all kinds of junk going on in my heart. And when I, when I got in, in, in a church or when I got around people who loved Jesus, I wanted him to lift me up to make me feel better about the other times. There are times that I've come just because I'm desperate. And I, don't, I can't put it into words. I'm just desperate to be here. There are times when I, my heart's been so full of love because of something he's done or just because of who he is that I go to him, that I'm drawn to him, and I just want to be with him. There are times I've come because I've been broke and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I sat at his feet and said, God, can you just come through? I've come with good motives. I've come with bad motives. But I think in that, I think God is always drawing. He's always drawing. He'll take the motives that we have and say, okay, you know what? Well, just come to me and we'll get all this worked out here. He draws everybody why are you here? Why is it 
that we sit at his feet. So I asked myself that question this morning. I'm just going to be real with you guys. Like I say, sometimes I'm, I'm there and love just overflows, but I, I really feel like the Lord's just saying to, 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 to be real together this morning, that we don't have to sugarcoat things. So I'm just going to be like real. I'm here because I got no place else to go because he's got the words of eternal life. I don't have any place else to go. I have no idea what I would do. Do you see what I'm saying? And here, here's, I'm not saying I have a desire to go. I don't. I don't want to go anywhere else, but I know this. I've been waiting and waiting for breakthrough on some things that I haven't had it. Now, what, what's my response going to be? To run? No one else is going to give me breakthrough. I know that. I've been around. We've had a really crappy uh, summer with my son. Can I just say that? Can I just be honest and real? It's not been good. It's been really rough. And we've seen him go backwards and backwards. And I, I don't know what happened. I feel like we got a different kid sometimes. There's just been all kinds of behavioral issues that we've never seen. There's been these things popping up. And I go, I, I, don't, I don't understand what's happening. You're going backwards. I don't know how many times we've prayed. I don't know how many times you guys have prayed with us. And I look and I'm going, why don't we have breakthrough? I don't understand it. So sometimes I come in here and I just sit and I just cry and I'm like, Lord, would you just please heal him? Would you please heal him? I, I don't know how many times I've asked, I don't know how many times I've taken authority. I don't know how many times we've bonded together and said, would you do this thing? I got no answers, but you know what? Where am I gonna go? You got the words of eternal life. He's the only one that's real. He's the only real answer. So here we live. We live in the midst of the already and not yet kingdom where he's given promises. We haven't received a lot of those promises yet, but I'm standing here and I'm not leaving because he's got the words of eternal life. And one day he's going to answer and he's going to break through and we're going to see the fullness of the kingdom. And until that comes, I ain't moving. I can't move. I can't work anything else up in here. I just know I'm... That's why I'm here. I don't know why you're here. But you know what? God can take it. This is one thing that I've learned. God can take it. He doesn't need us to sugarcoat things. He doesn't need us to come and disguise things. He can take it. He can take your questions, the big questions that you're scared to death to ask or that anyone around you might find out that you have. You can tell him those questions. You can tell him your frustrations. You can say, Lord, here's what I thought you said, and here's where I am, and it kind of ticks me off. But I believe you're good. That's just where I'm at. And you know what? That's a much better thing to say than say, I'm so happy all the day. Get rid of that. You, you, can, you can do that out there, but when you come here, he sees you anyway. Why are you here? Why are we here? What is it about Jesus that draws us? We can't get away from him. Why is it that despite all the hardships that have happened in this room, you're all still here? And I know it's not because of us, because we're not nearly cool enough. You are drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are you here? 
We have communion tables open this morning, and here's what I want you to do. We don't need to go, even as families this morning, you can go, you can if you want to, or you can just go as individuals and come and remember Jesus and remember his promises to you. Remember his corporate promises that one day everything's going to be made better. He's going to come and he's going to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. And some of those are done and some of those are in process. But we remember you, Jesus. We remember you, Jesus, that you're coming with a kingdom and one day your kingdom is going to be fulfilled. So I want you to come and I want you to remember him, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. And then I want you to sit. If you need to sit, sit before him and call out to him and say, Lord, don't forget me. Don't forget the things that you have. This is where I am. And just pour your heart out before Jesus, we might not know why we're here. As I sit up here just bumbling and rambling through this, I remember you. And I remember your promises. And I remember your goodness. And I say I love you. And I say I believe you. Now come and meet us.